the people of sake actually brought me into sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, not just sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history of Welcome. You are tuning into a brand new episode of Sake on Air, the world's one and only podcast that is introducing an entirely new and informative dialogue to the world of sake and shochu. My name is Justin Potts, one of your regular hosts here on the show. And while nine times out of ten we are recording from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center, which is located right in the heart of Tokyo, this week is a little something different. I actually just spent a few weeks trooping around the U.S. with a significant amount of that time spent in the Pacific Northwest, Seattle and Portland specifically. While I was there, I managed to get in touch with a few of the individuals who are shaping not only the present, but the future of these really exciting sake cities. And I'm really excited to be able to share some of the insight from these individuals that are really doing some fantastic work in the areas and making these great places to go and explore and experience sake and shochu. This week, we're starting in Portland, where I sit down together with Mr. Marcus Pekizer and Ms. Midori Nakazawa. And so it was really great to have both of them together uh, on the show to learn a little bit about what makes Portland unique, not just as a city, but also as a place for sake. Just a quick little caveat regarding this week's show. Uh, this is the very first show that we have recorded on the road like this. What that means is that our equipment and our locations for recording were a little bit makeshift and kind of thrown together with the best of our abilities, uh, but also on the fly. So apologies in advance if volume and uh, sound quality isn't quite up to uh, our normal standards. But I really hope that the nature of the content and uh, but I really hope that the nature of these but I really hope that the nature of the content of this and a few more episodes coming up here soon will outweigh some of the audio challenges that we might be struggling with a bit. Your understanding is greatly appreciated. So with that, let's dive into this week's episode. And here we are in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. And today I am joined by two very influential, uh, hardworking people in the sake scene here in Portland, uh, Mr. Marcus Pekizer as well as Ms. Midori Nakazawa. We've already been chatting for probably close to a good hour and a half already, so I've, I feel like I've already gotten your stories a little bit here. We're going to be rehashing things a little bit, but uh, I've been in Portland for, gosh, not even 48 hours, I don't think now. Um, I've been to the 10th Annual Fermentation Festival, and there are a lot of people who are excited about sake in particular, but all things fermented around here. And I would like to kind of dig in a little bit and sort of examine the nature of sake and its sort of position here um, in Portland, um, in this beautiful city. Um, but before we do that, I want to learn a little bit about the both of you. Um, so to get started, Midori, why don't we, why don't we start with you? No, you, Marcus, you let's do it. No, Midori, You go. do it. You do You're it. Up. You're the, the veterans of Portland. <laughs> Ladies first. Okay. Ladies first. So yeah, Midori, first, yeah tell me, how are, are you from Portland? What's what's the deal? How did you tell us first um, where you're at, what's, what you're doing here now? Um, I am uh, currently living in Portland and working for a local sake brewery called Sake One. Um, I say brewery, but we also import a lot of sake from Japan. I am their sales and marketing manager. Sake One, they're kind of the preeminent uh, jizake here in the U.S., right? I mean, you guys have been doing this 
just about longer than anybody. Yes, and also we are one of the largest sake, you know, company in the United States. So we are very proud of. Yeah, very nice, very nice, very nice. Um, are you from Portland originally? I am from Ibaraki Prefecture from originally. Ibaraki. So yes, yes. You're from Ibaraki, and now you're in Portland. Yes. How, how did that happen? Yeah, about a two and a half years ago, I moved from New York City to work with actually Marcus Parkizer, who's sitting across from me. So I I went to university in Las Vegas and uh, was studying the hotel administration. I was taking wine class, uh, beer class, all these, you know, alcoholic beverage classes. And then there was a great opportunity at a local distributor who was looking for an uh, intern to sell sake. And I was very interested. I got the job. I did an internship about a year. And I was like, wow, this is great, great job. And then that was the very beginning of my career in sake. And then I was working for a brewery in Tochigi called Tentaka Shuzo. I was there about two years doing international sales. And then one day, uh, founder of Joto Sake uh, called uh, Henry Seidel. He approached me and uh, offered me a fantastic job opportunity in New York City. I was working for them about about nine and a half years. Fantastic company. I enjoy, met wonderful people, including Marcus Flakizer. And I always wanted to live in Portland. And one day he offered me a job and I said, I'll do it. I love to work with you, live in Portland. So here I am. Yeah, and you're having fun. I am. You're having fun. Yeah, well, we'll talk. I want to get back um, some a little bit, but um, you were at Tentaka for several, a couple About, of years? I think two years, almost closer to two, but not full two years. Um, what was the experience at Tentaka like? It was very interesting because back in the days, there weren't that many international sales positions at most of the Jizake, microbrewery, sake companies, and uh, Mr. Ozaki, the president, uh, created this job just for me. And I felt a little bit, how do I say, like minority, you know, younger, female, uh, just kind of graduated from U.S. university. But the sake industry people welcomed me with their open heart really warmly. And everybody talked to me. I became friends with them. It was very great experience to get to know the industry and get to know the sake um, so it was very 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 interesting unique uh, experience at Tentaka yeah well it's in your primarily sales there or did you have any chance were you involved in the brewing or anything like that or primarily sales uh, the Mr. Ozak Ozaki sent me to the NREB uh, brewing school in Tokyo. So it was a one-month intensive uh, course for sake brewing. So that was very, very good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was, what, what, do you have any memories of anything that was particularly? So our team, our group thesis was how water affect fermentation and how what kind of sake do you get at the end? So we did a kojikomi, small fermentation uh, experiment, and we used, four, I believe, four different waters, like crystal geyser, loko no oishimizu, uh, tap water, and I think one, well, the other one was Evian. So obviously the Evian fermented much faster than any other water. And then because it was too rushed, the sake, I felt, was too rough. So 
it was stuff like that. Um, and then also we were able to hear lecture from Koji uh, manufacturer, mm. uh, the Kyokai Association East organi organi organization people came, talked about East. So not only I was making sake, but the classroom situation, the classroom uh, class was really not as far advanced. Mm. Um, and I felt like one of the kind of experience I was able to get at the NREB. That's super exciting because that's, that's a lot of information that isn't readily available. Right. right. Yes. And they do have a very good textbook. Yeah. And um, I never had any other opportunity before that to be able to see that type of all in writing in one book. And then it goes really in deeper level. I was very impressed yeah. with the textbook. Yeah, absolutely. Does some of the things that you've learned there, taken from there, has that really, do you feel like that's helped serve you in communication now, now overseas? Or are people starting to ask the types of questions that, you know, the, the things that you were learning there? Yeah, after I finished completely, completing the course, I felt much more confident talking about sake. And I did not, I wasn't scared to, to be alone at a table or at an event for any kind of questions. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, people ask, you know, what type of rice do you use and why do you use this rice? Why do you use this pressing? Things like that. So that course really well prepared me for why I am right now. Now, now I want to sit down and talk with you about um, water sources and things like that, but we'll have to save that for another episode. When you come to Japan, we'll have to dig into that. Um, you spent a long time in New York. I did. Yeah. And now you said you've been here for what? Three, two and a half, two and a half years, right? Um, how does New York differ from Portland? Oh, very different. Fast paced. Also for sake. Yeah. Um, it, I feel personally that the most competitive sake market in the world or one of the most competitive sake market in the world. So almost all sake importers are located in New York City or vicinity of New York City. And a lot of knowledgeable people are around and then all new products always constantly coming in, limited production, namazake and things like that. And everybody trying really hard to to sell and promote sake. Very good but competitive sake industry. But there's a but there's a market there that can sustain that kind of that level of intensity and that fluctuation. It's, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Is it is it picking up? Is it getting faster? It, it's even now getting more competitive, um, also more fun maybe because the Brooklyn Kura yeah. opened up. Yeah. So I'm sure that influenced a lot of local people as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's going to that's gonna be a big game changer, I think, to have that locally. Yes. That's super exciting. Excellent. Thank you. Well, I've, I've got more to chat with you on, but um, I'm going to step over here and... Um, to this gentleman, uh, Marcus. Yes, you've been in the game for quite some time now. Yeah, I um. Well, I guess it started before I got in sake. I uh, moved to the Notahanto of Ishikawa mm. in 1988 and lived there for a couple years. And I didn't learn very much about sake at all, except that I liked to drink it. Mm. But I learned how to speak Japanese because it was a same Japanese doinaka, so it was. The sticks. Yeah. So I really had to learn how to speak Japanese to get by. And then I ended up getting married while I was out there. And then we moved back to the States and I was looking for a job to use Japanese. And a couple years later, 
uh, Vice President Pintax called me and said, hey, are you still looking for a job using Japanese? I said, yes, of course I am. And he said, well, come to my office with your suit and bring your resume. We have an interview for you. I go, oh, Pintax got something. No, it's not Pintax. I go, what is it? I can't tell you. <laughs> so I went and did this interview for like an hour and a half in Japanese for these three Japanese business people and didn't know what I was interviewing for. I was just speaking Japanese to see what my ability was. And at the end, they say we're with Hakushika Sake because they had just built a sake brewery in Colorado. And they were looking for someone to come in and brew sake and a local to brew sake because they're Toji, the brewmaster, couldn't speak great English. So they needed somebody who could speak Japanese. So I didn't know anything about sake brewing, but I got hired to be a sake brewer because I could speak Japanese. Yeah. Okay. So right place, right time. Yeah. I started there, it was like 92, 93, something like that. Yeah. And so I started brewing sake at Hakushika Sake wow. um, in, what, early 90s. So I've been doing sake since then. So I worked there for till 1998, and then I moved out to, to Oregon to work at Sake One. Worked there for a while and then did a couple things in, in um, different import situations. And then and currently I'm the vice president of sake for Young's Market, which is a West Coast um, alcohol distributor. And I kind of lead the sake category here from Portland, but we're in 10 states. So Excellent. so that's yeah. what I'm doing. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. So Young's Market then is the sake category. Is that something that came about upon your involvement with them or is that something how was that sort of developed yeah, and changed over time with sake but they want they knew they wanted to hire me as a sake manager to figure out what they could do with sake it was going to be a two-year stint to see let's see what we can do with sake let's see if this guy can help us improve sake sales and i did what they were looking for in two years i did in about four months so they figured out it worked so they kept that going and since then they've hired a sake manager in Washington and there's three sake managers in in uh, California and there's another one here in Oregon as well so so we've grown it a bit what was that what was that initial thing that they were looking for that they needed they didn't know anything about sake they knew how to sell wine but nobody knew even how to word, say the word correctly I had to teach them how to say the word sake correctly so they didn't know what they didn't know they just knew that they were missing out on some potential sake sales and granted they probably wanted to also grab the wine list while they're in the sake account selling the sake and then grab the wine list but my job was to basically see what we could do with sake in the Oregon market and so I started with Young's Market in 2006. And so then what was it so that initially I'm, I'm curious about because that's that's an interesting process I think those first starting from we're sitting on something we know it's got potential. Yeah. And then where do you, what, what, well, what does that first stage? Like? My boss at the time didn't know anything about sake. He didn't even know what to tell me what to do. So I just basically just had to go create it, the job myself yeah. and create the, the category myself. And then I said, well, we don't have enough sake. I need some more sake. Mm -hmm. So within about six months after I started, I actually, I had met Henry Seidel at uh, Sakagura when I was working for, I actually was working for MBJ, which is Momokawa Brewing in Aomori. I worked for them for a while. And I was doing a sake tasting at Sakagura in New York City. And I met Henry there and I said, oh my gosh, your sake is fantastic. And then six months, and then I, you know, I contacted Henry and we contacted each other a little bit. And I said, well, would you be interested in having us distribute your sake in Oregon? And so we talked and got started in about December of 2006 with Johto, 
and then shortly after that, after that, and then it's when I met Midori, and, and uh, we've been friends ever since then. So, but anyway, and then I've added some other sake since then. So we, uh, we probably have 300 different SKU of sake now. I'm curious, stepping back to your Colorado days as a brewer for a moment. So was that when they were initially just setting up the brewery then? Yes. So you were in from the ground floor setting up yeah, the, the, actually, uh, the brewery. Yeah, actually, the and... built the plant there. Well, granted, they thought wanted to see what would happen in America, but they're a large sake brewery. And, and I think at the time they were the ninth largest in Japan. And and they you know had some money. And they built a new brewing system, a little bit more automated system. And it was a guinea pig was in Colorado to see if the system would work. So therefore, we didn't have very many workers. So I did rice polishing all the way through to pressing. And then I would help out with with um, bottling. And I also did all the, all the lab work all by myself, yeah. practically, wow. practically. I mean, scraping the, you know, the sakikasu, I had to get one of the person to help me. But yeah. it was enough new system at the time. And, and then it, it worked out well. It was successful. And then they implemented that in Nishinomiya. And then a year after that, the earthquake hit. And if they hadn't have implemented it when they did and, re and you know, built their equipment and redid the brewery a bit, who knows what would have happened in, during the, the earthquake. So yeah. timing was was fortunate. Yeah. Not fortunate the earthquake happened, but fortunate timing-wise that they actually were implementing the new system, yeah. which isn't even new anymore. But at the time, back in the early 90s, it was a very new system. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, so the, and when you were in so was it you and say a toji or somebody who yeah Japan, there was a toji was yes of, the, of course the two the two of you yes yeah set set up camp and exactly just got to work pretty exactly much. yep what was that sort of relationship like i mean that's i imagine that would have been this sort of unique you take the toji off the island and send them into yeah. into middle america well i think he was having fun with his family he had three daughters and they were enjoying america at the time and and uh but i He's the base of what I learned for first part of my sake learning was from him. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm always being debt and great. I'll, I'll always be in debt to Hakushika Sake and Nishi-san, who was my first instructor. Because because of them and because of what he taught me, the bug caught, and I've been doing sake for 27 years since. So, Excellent. Excellent. What what. what? When you first got into brewing, was it something you that clicked with you? Was it something that you? Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not the most scientific person on the planet. So, understanding the chemistry of stuff is like, wait, what? Yeah. I was a liberal arts degree, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but what really fascinating, still to this day, completely fascinates me about sake is the history of it. So I study the stories, the history. Why did this rice become popular? When did it become popular? And I just started that time. From that time on, there was only one book in English at the time. Yeah. Um, Mr. Kondo, I think his name was Kondo, mm. wrote the book. And there was no other English socket books at all back then, yeah. especially about anything about brewing. And they were still talking about EQ, Niku, Sankyu system, yeah. the, you know, the taxation system even. So yeah. um I, I read that cover to cover a billion times and then I tried to find anything on the internet. It just didn't exist. Yeah. So I just had to ask people questions a lot. And so I'm still asking questions. I'm still learning every single day. But my passion is the story behind why we do what we do. And then also the fact that when you're brewing, you're creating a living thing and watching it come out a little different each time or the same each time was just fascinating to me. 
Um, and then honestly, the most, one of the most rewarding things is when you're sitting in a restaurant and you see somebody order the sake that you brewed yeah. and you're just watching them enjoy it. Yeah. That's the best. Yeah. That's the best. Yeah. Absolutely. And so maybe it's not the sake that you brewed per se nowadays, but it's a, a right. lot of sakes that you have your hands in in, yeah. in some degree yeah. and well, the both of you and then sake one as well right. here. Um, I imagine there are a lot more places serving delicious sake here and around Portland. Are you having, are you feeling like, are there a lot more places that are, you feel like the awareness is raising and the, there's yeah. interest building? Portland first, when I first started working in the Portland sake market, it was like your typical market, I think probably in the Midwest that didn't have, there's no Isho beans, there's no 1.8 liters. Everything was small bottle, you know, bottle only, no by the glass. And it was very, very limited sake selections when I first started. And then we started increasing. And then, and then I think the biggest thing that's really built sake, sake in Portland is very, very big. We have a small population, maybe 4 million. But my company alone does, not including the competitors, but granted we dominate, but we're doing $4 million worth of sake a year in Oregon with 4 million people. It's not supposed to happen. And we, we taught and Midori and I worked together really hard on teaching everybody to do by the glass. So in Portland, everybody does sake by the glass. He's 1.8 liters of 720s. You don't see very many small bottles everywhere. And just the, just telling and teaching people that sake lasts for a long time after you've opened it. Wine doesn't and you're doing wine by the glass, and you're doing sake by the small bottle, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So we've got everybody to understand they're going to sell 10 times more sake if you're doing it by the glass, and everybody gets it. So everybody in Portland, in Oregon actually, the whole city, in the whole state, does sake by the glass. And that's been one of the key things to get more consumers to try sake. And then we do sake flights, and so they try sake. They fall in love with sake. They learn about it. And then the sake list can be... Instead of like 10 sake, you'll find sake lists here, 45, 50 sake, and yeah. in one case, 85 sake. Yeah. And they're almost all by the glass. Yeah. So it gives accessibility to consumers. And then the, the people at the restaurants love it because they can carry a lot of different sake. They, they learn about it. And, and uh, the, the level of, of understanding about sake from buyers in this market is very, very high. So when we go to sell sake, we, they want to know the story behind it, but then they'll ask me technical questions like, so is it um, pasteurized and bottled, then stored and then shipped, or do we do namachos? I mean, they'll ask me technical questions yeah. and they want to know the answer. So I have to know the answers to make sure I can teach them. Yeah, It's fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. So it keeps you on your toes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Very exciting. And then, well then, Midori, so you're in a, an interesting position, whereas you have the sake right here in town being made. Um, that gives, you know, whether it be restaurants or sommeliers or whatever, you know, facet they may be exploring sake in, that gives them pretty unprecedented access to a brewery that, I mean, you're starting to see a few more pop up here and there. What is it, how is your position then a little bit different in that you actually have the brewery right here and all those resources? How does that influence how you communicate and sort of how you sell your product or the experiences that you share with clients or... Yeah, so uh, one of the thing, th- one of the new things in my career right now is to be able to work 
at a brewery and also in port. I was always either or, right? I was either at a Tentaka brewery or Joto Sake as an importer. Sake One does both. And I think that is absolutely fantastic because I could talk to my, my manager, the president, and the Toji every day, pretty much, if I want to. And then I can ask the questions immediately from the source, or Sake One can create new type of sake, or we can experiment. And we can also ask, before we make a new product, we can ask the local people, including Marcus, say, hey, what do you think about this? That's a huge plus for me. And also the Portland has a big population, like people who are interested in making stuff, making beer, making cider, and making kombucha. So I feel that the, the locals really do get into sake easily because of their their interest in fermentation. We, we also were able to send like restaurants, we, we'll do a sake training in-house, but then we'll send the restaurant out to Sake One yeah. and get a hands-on tour of everything we've been talking about. And which is awesome because they can actually visit a sake brewery and understand even better what we're trying to teach them. Yeah. Uh, that's, that seems like an amazing resource that's yeah, still that's, limited to, you know, just a, a handful of, you know, certain areas or certain markets still that it's still yeah. is very accessible anyway. That's yeah. that's super exciting. So you were talking about all the, you know, the cider makers, all the you got fantastic wine out here. What has the relationship been like between other brewers? Is is there been any communication, collaboration, sh- information sharing? A What's that? Bit of yeah, collaboration. Where I know a couple guys that have started beer breweries worked at Sake One for a while. They took that knowledge. Another guy who is got his own winery up and going. He worked at Sake One for a while. There's a, there's a really good atmosphere of collaboration. Yeah, we nowadays we exchange, we collaborate with uh, beer brewery, basically top takeover. Yeah. Um, and also we sometimes work with the wineries. I believe this weekend happening, we cross promote, uh, especially the nearby wineries and close by or close, like friend, uh, beer brewery. We do that. So it seems like because there's, I mean, a lot of the, I know a lot of the breweries, there's a lot of sort of open source. It feels like there's a lot of information sharing. There's yeah. a lot of collaboration. It seems like a market that's ripe for dipping into sake good, and sake it's a collaboration. Very good atmosphere for that kind of thing. And uh, everybody just, you know, I used to, when I used to do seminars in Portland, I'd say, who in here doesn't like sake? And you'd always see a few hands. Um, but nowadays, no hands go up. Because everybody likes sake, or maybe they say, I actually haven't tried it very much. But people just not liking sake doesn't exist anymore. So we've had enough exposure that the average Joe likes sake. And the beer, I find that the beer brewery guys love sake. I mean, they love sake. You know, they'll go drink sake. In fact, there's another winery company that will contact Midori and I, and they say, okay, let's go to Yuzu, which is our local izakaya. You got, we're gonna, we're buying. And you guys are doing all the beverage. No wine. We're only drinking sake tonight. And that happened three or four times. And that's it's uh it's just a really nice atmosphere. And my company, being a wine company, has embraced sake like crazy. So um, they've always supported me and and uh, allowed me just to do what I need to do to make the sake thing happen. And our reps are getting better and better at selling sake and knowing and knowledge. 
one of the best in the country. I've been to so many distributors in the United States, and I keep telling the Young's team is that the, especially the Oregon team is one of the best I've ever seen, and it's still the same. Might be the the best. Well, that, so that's powerful too, in that you're you are a wine distributor. Yeah. First. Um, that means you. Well, are I don't ever let them say wine distributor first. Or, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. We're uh, equal. You were doing that before there was something <laughs> yeah, on the menu. I there guess, you go. For, okay. for lack of a yeah. yeah. Um, that gives you access to a lot of restaurants that maybe wouldn't have thought about sake initially. Yeah. Um, what well, has been? What has that been like when you have access to those places? A lot well, of places are sort of. Sake is kind of still relegated to yeah. the Asian I think, food scene. Well, I think Midori's even got more experience than I do with this kind of thing. But we've found that you can get a chef on board with understanding that this sake is going to go great with their Italian dish or whatever the food is. It's a really – we can get chefs to buy onto it, and a lot of times we get buyers to buy into it. Here's the real problem, though, is the general consumer – goes in and doesn't expect to order sake with their non-Japanese food. Yeah. So culturally, it's still, to be really honest with, it's still a problem. Sake going with pizza and everything else, that's not the that's not the issue. It's just getting the general consumer to go in and order sake when they're at a non-Japanese restaurant, a non-Asian restaurant. That's the real challenge. Yeah. And, and also, don't you think that another big challenge, let's say you were able to bring the sake into non-Asian restaurant. Okay, you made a placement. The sake is now listed on the menu. But another challenge that you just created yourself and to the restaurant is that, again, as you said, that people come in, they don't, they weren't planning to order sake in that restaurant. It wasn't even in their mind when they walked mm-hmm. in. Right. They, they weren't were, ready. They were envisioning their, their and, evening meal. And we have a lot of other choices. Yeah. We've got all kinds of beer. We've got all kinds Especially of wine, cocktails. So they have all these other choices anyway. So. so then we have to train the restaurant and server, get them like and get them excited about the fact that sake is in fact on their list and paired with such and such di- dishes. So we need to get them on the board Otherwise, the sake, yes, we, sake was in the restaurant, but was ever going to be a second order, third order, fourth order. So, yeah, it's a constant challenge. Yeah, I I think we both want to see sake on, I want to, my goal from day one in sake has always been to see, to have a sake on every wine or beverage list, no matter what the restaurant is across America. It's just as an option. If people say, oh, we have a full bar. I says, well, what socket do you carry? Oh, we don't have that. Not a full bar, is it? Yeah. So I still ran into that. My goal is to get sake everywhere. But the, honestly, the reality is, is, is we can't spend all of our time trying to get sake into non-Japanese restaurants because it's just not paying off yet. Yeah. We've got to keep concentrating on, the, on the, where you expect it to be. But luckily, those places are booming like crazy. Yeah. And people are loving sake. We just yeah. got to get past that cultural yeah. thing. Yeah. So what can those people do in, say, the Japanese restaurants or those places that people are going there expecting to have sake and they're yeah. offering good experiences? What can they do? Or have, what sort of have you seen any interesting examples here in the city of places that are doing things that have you mentioned, you know, switching to um, service by the glass and making that oh, yeah. just, you know, have you seen anything that have 
anybody doing well, anything interesting that's yeah. helping to kind of yeah there's there's a and... there's a well there's yeah there's a place it's not it's they have a little bit of sushi but they have a lot of other things too but they do a very special sake flight at different times of year and we'll create a really special sake flight card maybe it's it's all female brewmasters and their story behind with their picture and and that and have a flight of that or a flight with heirloom rice only like wataribune omachi and you know um another godiki or something like that of heirloom flight you know just kind of geeky stuff but it exposes people to it yeah so we're doing things like that but it's not and once in a while a non-japanese restaurant i know like in i do sake week in alaska every year mm. and there's a pizza place up there that carries sake on their menu all the time yeah uh, i haven't been successful in doing it here in portland yet yeah. but in alaska there is one signal station pizza oh that's right i take it back there is one there's a sake pl- a pizza place that has sake all the nice. time yeah nice. but it's you know it's taking a while yeah but we haven't given up. Obviously, yeah. we will yeah, always we try. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, I, I've, I haven't spent a lot of time in the city, obviously, but just when I do get a chance to make it back, what's super exciting is that just people's general interest and awareness just yes. around yes. food in general. Um, you you can talk people into trying different things, yes. and when people do get excited about something, they yep. seem to get pretty darn excited about I it. I noticed that too. So it seems like you're you're in a a bit of a unique ecosystem that is right for being able to do some kind of interesting for sure. It's a really good city for that. Yeah. We love our alcohol, we love our food, yeah. and it's not very many chain driven type places. It's all chef driven ownership accounts, and that yeah. gives a little bit more flexibility. So. It's a very good atmosphere for yeah, that. Like yesterday, you know, yeah. when we were at the event, the Portland Fermentation 10th anniversary event, uh, one of the ladies who came to Sakewan table, she came with her friend. She said, my friend loves sake, but I never liked sake and I still want to try. Yeah. She wanted to try, even though she just told me she hated sake before. Yeah. So I bought her one of her sake and she's like, you know, this actually tastes good. And she's like, hey, you should try this one. I think I, now I can say I like sake. Yeah. And I'm like, there you go. You just haven't had a sake that you liked yeah. until now. Yeah. So you can say you like sake. Yeah. And that is the Portland, like yeah. Oregon attitude. I always say, if I find somebody, I always who in here, especially for general public, who in here doesn't like sake? And if I do see a hand, like I said, I don't see the hands anymore. Yeah. But if I do, I say... I said, okay, have you ever had a wine you didn't like? And they go, sure. And do you hate all wine? Well, no. Have you ever had a beer you didn't like? Yes. And do you hate all beer? No. How many times have you tried sake? I don't know, once or twice, and it was probably hot jet fuel, wasn't it? And they go, well, yeah. I said, well, you just haven't had the right sake yet. You didn't stop. That's like trying Arbor Mist and deciding if you like wine or not, you know? So you got to keep trying things. And and people are open to that. And that atmosphere, that's it. Prime example of what Midori that just really said yesterday. That was really rewarding moment. Yeah, yeah it's very yeah, rewarding. Absolutely. absolutely. Oh, that's great. Has there been, are there any interesting? I'm just super curious. I, I'm sad that I'm only here for like 72 hours. I want to run all over the city and, and find all the answers to all these questions myself. But there's, are, are there been any interesting chefs or anything? I mean, chefs are kind of, in many cases, sort of the center of, you know, yeah. uh, the, the scene in a lot of ways and these things that have kind of come on board and been really kind of flag bearers or anything. Or has there been any, I don't know, restaurants that have opened over the years? There's so many. Yeah. That's, that's, there's not just a few. There's yeah. just a ton. Yeah. 
that when they open, they contact us and say, okay, let's put this socket list. I know about, I know about 15 that I definitely want, but help me build the rest of it. And I say, how many do you need? I don't know, 40? Well, let's do it, you know, and it, it's not just one. It's, it's a lot of places. We don't have to talk people into sake. Yeah. They come to us and ask us for help on sake yeah. and it's numerous it's a very good system or we we're grateful yeah. I, I do feel that in oregon if people want to buy sake for their store or the restaurant they tend to contact either marcus or myself so we are very blessed with the yeah. fact that people know who to contact when they want sake yeah. so it's always we get lucky so then in that case, then what, what would you both like to try then right now? I say you're in, you're, you're both in positions where there's people, you know, they're, they're coming to you mm -hmm. um, and people are excited. People are interested. Is there anything without giving away your next big project, your, <laughs> your trade secrets or anything? But is there something we were talking like Marcus and I, when we were first talking today, we we're talking about communication and, yeah. you know, some of the vocabulary that is frustrating and that yeah. people struggle with. What is, is there anything that's that you would like to do, whether it's personally or something that, um, you know, communicating sake or selling sake that you would like to try or would like you would like to try with restaurants here or something you would like to see happen? doing it i mean yeah, yeah. we if we say if we want to do a training somewhere we say i think it's time for training yeah let's do it you know and so if we want to go do a sake training the restaurant completely opens up and lets us do a sake training i say i even say hey can i show them a sake they haven't seen before with a hidden reason of i want them to carry this sake moving yeah. forward because the whole staff is going to fall in love with it yeah. we do that um we both teach w set courses here in oregon which has really been good because we have a deeper level of understanding for not only our own staff on at sake one and at young's but we have a lot of uh restaurants that have taken w set level one and three yeah and so the the knowledge level just keeps getting deeper and deeper and i keep relying on my importers to keep showing me really cool unique stuff and and then i spend a lot of my time just doing a lot of research on the breweries themselves so i have more and more information every year to share with everybody and helps them get, I just watch them get yeah. excited about sake. Yeah. I mean, if I had a wish, I wish every restaurant in Portland had sake, but you know, we're not there yet. What are you? Yeah. I mean, you and I have to think of more fun stuff too. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. We always constantly figure out how to make sake more accessible to people. Yeah. And we come up with some ideas and, we try and sometimes yeah. fail. And so yeah. I feel like I was actually going, wanted to talk to you. Like we, I think it's about time we come, come, come up with another new idea. Yeah. yeah something fun. Yeah. I don't know exactly right now off the top of my head. Yeah. And we, yeah. we do have, I have had a sake trade show every year here in Portland. Um, and this next year is the 14th annual. So it's one of the longest existing American distributor sake only trade shows yeah. in the country. Yeah. And I have, and I do it in January. So I don't get a lot of Kuramoto participation because they're all busy brewing, but we have 300 people trade only that show up to the trade show and we teach a class an advanced class and we'll go as geeky as explain the difference between Bodai Moto, Kimoto, Yamahai, Sokujo and all the chemistry of those differences or rice or or history of the rice and, and different things. Just really geeky stuff. We'll have a hundred people in that class. Yeah. 
And it's all either, it's either restaurant owners or people that work at the restaurant, the staff, they're all just learning and, and just trying to get everything they can. And then we always have a sake 101 as well. And we always have a new flow of 70 people that join that class. So when the doors open, we have 170 people through the door, and then we have another 150 people that show up as well. So we have about 300 people every January for this sake trade show. That's become a really important part of sake of yeah. Portland yeah. and Oregon, actually, because we have people that come from five hours away. Some come from Seattle, um, some yeah, from so Utah, yeah. Alaska. They've come down for it. It's a pretty big deal. So and that's something we've consistently continued to do. And something else that started about 10 years ago, this, this next will be 10th anniversary, is a thing called Sake Fest. Yep. And that's in June every year, um, PDX, sakefestpdx.com. And we didn't start it, but I've been in part of it since the beginning. And a guy named David Wagner from Philadelphia who does event planning started it. But it's become quite a big thing now. It's us and about two or three other distributors participate. And we have also some restaurants involved just so there's some nibble food, but people pay 50 bucks and taste three, 400 different sake, eat the food that's local, you know, restaurant food. And that's pretty cool just to go with sake. And that's for the public. And then the trade shows in January for the trade only. So those are the two big events we have. And we can probably handle another new, another, uh, a or two yes. uh, sake themed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Keep, keep, you know, there's a lot of beer. Th- there's so many beer things going on all every other weekend, it seems like. So. Yeah. Why not about sake, right? Yeah. We definitely can and would like to get some help from more of the event person because we have, you know, I work for a brewery importer and you have your everyday distribution work. Yeah. So, you know, also we event planning event is another it's big undertaking. Yes. So if there is another person who's interested in, you know, organizing an event, yeah. we would be happy to help. And yeah. yeah. There you go. That was a job offer oh, right yes. there from right. official offer from, from <laughs> Midori. She's <laughs> kind of sort of <laughs> pays in sake. What's your relationship here then with the rest of the Pacific Northwest? What is our is see so you're in Seattle, you're in Northern California, you're going to all these different areas. Are those are they kind of each silos in and of themselves then, more or less? Well, or? for for our company, we have ten different states we distribute sake yeah. in, and different levels of understanding and knowledge, and different levels of of volume and things like that. Uh, and my job is to go to each of those markets mm-hmm. and teach our team there how to sell sake when I'm not there to hold their hand doing it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's like, why I do sake week in Alaska every year. And, and, uh, that's mostly for general public, but it, it just exposes more and more people to sake. Whereas, you know, in Montana, we get a little bit going on and I, I know a teeny bit going on in Utah. I go there every year, but yeah, it's just, I seen in the last 27 years, I've just seen sake grow every single year. Yeah. And so I've been going to Hawaii a lot recently, helping those guys with sake. So it's it just depends on the market. Every market's a little different, and they're but it really it takes some people that have passion, and it takes people on the ground that know sake to really move the needle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In just my personal experience, I find that just general climate, not market climate, like literal climate, yeah. um, tends to influence 
which sakes I perceive to taste better in different okay. places. I don't know if, if that makes sense. Sure. Is that because um, of the the specific local cuisine? Like, there are some sakes that I love that if I take and drink in Phoenix, I just don't find enjoyable. Mm. Or some sakes that I didn't care for so much, but gosh, in you know Boston, it tasted pretty darn good. Um, I mean, it could, I, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, this is just sort of a personal question I'm thinking about. And I, I just have my, my heart is closely attached to the Pacific Northwest. And I feel like the Pacific Northwest seems to be pretty well adapted to a pretty. Better. Yeah. And I'm just and I'm just kind of. I don't travel enough outside. Uh, I mean, I go to Hawaii a couple of times and I count Alaska as part of the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. I don't go to outside the Pacific Northwest yeah, yeah, yeah. enough to say let's say the specific sake what it's going to taste like in kansas versus mississippi yeah. i just don't go out enough yeah, outside yeah. of my own market to really know the answer to that yeah, yeah, personally yeah. but yeah. i can see your point i used to i don't travel that much anymore with my current uh position but i used to travel a lot when i was at Johto, like yeah. across the united states and you know, let's say for example, like Texas, you know, like I yeah. probably tend to like a little bit cleaner, crispier sake than earthy something. You know, yeah. I mean the temperature and your yeah. mood and the local it's, cuisine. Yeah, and, but you're definitely, definitely cold. Yeah, and like Colorado, if you're in Aspen, you want to drink maybe okang or something, yeah. and you know it. And then maybe the United States is a big country, and right. then the the weather change yeah. pretty dramatically you know pacific northwest middle the mountains and the, you know yeah. so i mean it's i mean japan yeah also has four seasons and yeah. different uh, you know different environment and weather but maybe not as drastic right. as yeah, yeah maybe yeah. that's i i don't know this i'm just kind of thinking out loud just kind of just personal experience i've just sort of had over the last few years and the just the U.S. just being massive and having so many different you know climate zones and all these different things, I I know I kind of like the idea of different portions of the U.S. just having very unique def- sake markets that define each of them because of just the way that things that people prefer. You know, it would just be so interesting I to think, me if like I think, a certain um, area of the states just in, drink nothing but gai, daiginjo, but in Alaska, you know, 90% well, I, of their consumption I think was brand, or something like that. I, I think, don't know. <laughs> I think brand-wise in Oregon, we have a lot of brands that most of the U.S. has never heard of. Yeah. And some of the big, big, well-known brands, say in Southern California, you find everywhere and such, you don't find here. Yeah. And I think that has to do a bit with the distribution of them and who's distributing and and luckily I've been able to get these really geeky unique mm. maybe I seek them out too but yeah. these really things that nobody's ever heard of and get people turned on get the city turned on to it like just an example um, we saw a lot of Watari Bune mm. here more else than anywhere else in the country because yeah. the story is one of the coolest stories on the planet yeah. I personally fell in love with it so I talk about it all the time and I remember going to Saucebox, which is it's kind of an Asian themed bar kind of place, and they have some sake. And I listened to this. I was I was watching this guy. And he's ordering sake. So, oh, what are you having? Oh, this is the fifty five. Mm. I go, what is that? I was pretending, right? And he said, yeah. he told me the story with Tati Bune. Yeah, cool. Because it's just gone around. Yeah. And things like that are really satisfying and really cool because yeah. the stories sell. But I think it depends on what you're 
what you're talking about and, and the passion behind what you're doing makes a big difference also in the different markets. Outside of the climate, outside of what the sake tastes like and all that, it's more about what, why is this, these sake so big in this area? You know, and sake one is, is very important to Oregon. Yeah. You know, they've been brewing sake here since 1998, yeah. um, 21 years. So um, it's a really big part of helping to grow the sake market as well. So. Yeah. Like, for example, I noticed when I first moved from New York City to Portland, I noticed the amount of taruzake that are sold in Portland yeah. was nothing ever, nothing ever saw before in my sake career. Yeah. I'm like, what is the reason? Like, why? Yeah. It's like, hmm, of course, Maka's uh, showed all the greatness about taruzake and people fell in love. And also the fact that people were open try taruzake yeah. and then a lot of people loved it so i was like wow this is a very unique market yeah, yeah. i like it i like it no it's, i don't want to i don't want to take all too much of your time here i've taken a whole bunch we're here. talking about sake yeah, you can't shut us true. up that's, that's the true. problem that's true that's true <laughs> I guess before we go here though what what's got the both of you excited these days is there anything in the world of sake or just portland things that and that's got you kind of jazzed that you're excited to see how it changes or develops or the things that you're excited to be involved in or I, I just I've been falling in love with a couple sake recently because yeah. the stories are so fascinating and yeah. different and what the brewers are doing and yeah. just it, it gets super geeky but yeah. I'm, I think I'm so you're able talking to the geekiest of all yeah. who's listening. Here. Okay, well, <laughs> so. you know, when you when you a female brewer is using the original heirloom rice, and I even go so far as to tell the story of how omachi was discovered and all that, and the history of it, and then she's using bodai molta method that's a little off from what the original bodai molta method was a thousand years ago. And then the fact it's slightly hazy in order to show what sake used to be like a thousand years ago, possibly. Yeah. I mean, just that kind of stuff just yeah. jazzes me like crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I love telling those kind of stories to people and watch them get so turned on to it. And it's just, just lights me up inside, you know, and, and I just like to learn the history of things as much as possible. And so that's why I try to study as much as I can about about the history of why the why did the brewery this is my new thing is why did this brewery start why did your 17 generations of before you why did they start the brewery yeah. i have no idea so yeah. i got to try to dig in and find out the reasons for yeah. brewery starting like i there was one concept that came up is after the tokugawa shogun mm -hmm. came in and there was peace in the in japan for a while there wasn't any civil wars so i'm wondering how many of those possibly out of work samurai yeah. maybe got into business to started making sake i mean i don't know yeah, 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 I mean, it's yeah, just yeah. a concept right yeah, now yeah. in my head but yeah. i would love to research that yeah, i just have to figure out how to research it yeah, 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 but things yeah. like that yeah. is yeah. Yeah. exciting yeah. to me definitely maybe only me yeah. but well, i don't think you're the only one but that's <laughs> and then and then i've learned a story about how this is started and there's another really cool story. Sorry, I'm getting on these stories. Go, 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 go. But that's what, that's Yoshino, Yoshinogawa, that yeah. one of the sakes that Midori imports, her company imports, is the oldest brewery in Niigata. Yeah. Where'd they get the name Yoshinogawa? Yeah. It's seven, 17 generations now, right? 17 generations started in 1548, but why the name Yoshinogawa? 
because about six or seven generations in, the guy who was running the brewery apparently wasn't doing a great job. And his wife, Yoshiko, kind of took over the reins and became the president so that the brewery wouldn't fall under. And then eventually her son took over. But when her grandson took over, he renamed everything Yoshinogawa in her honor because she kept things going. Yoshiko, so Yoshi, and I think her last name must have been something Gawa, Ogawa, or something like that. So Yoshinogawa is why the brewery is named that, and the brand is named that, because of his great, 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 whatever grandmother saved the company. I mean, things like that are just so fascinating that, oh, this is a good sock. It's from Niigata. Okay. Okay, great. But what else about it? And that's why the stories are so fascinating. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Kind of on on that thread, with with regards to regionality, are you seeing people are starting to be a bit more of a uptick in people's? Are people thinking about where sake is coming from at all? Are you starting to see that um, at all? We put maps on menu. We create we we print menus yeah. for people and always try to put a map on there. Yeah. But it's more about oh, I went to this place, I went to this place, I went to this place, yeah. because the regionality of sake is you have to drink so much sake to really pick up. Oh, this is from Yamagata. This is from Nagasaki. This one's from Ibaraki. This is from Guma. I mean, come on, we're a really long, long. I don't. I don't and sake is not. I don't think. It's, it's becoming more regional, but the reality of drinking things blind yeah. and knowing the regionality of it compared to wine yep. is just not there. Yep. So while we talk about regionality, I also downplay it a little bit because I just want people to enjoy. I don't want people to get stuck on thinking one region's better than another one. Yeah. I don't promote Niigata as the best. I promote Niigata as an awesome region, but so is Ibaraki, so is Hiroshima, so yeah. is Saga. Yeah. They're all great. Yeah. Just have different types of sake there. And so I try to, I don't try to build regionality up too much because I don't want somebody to get stuck on one region. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I'm very similar to Marcus. I think yeah. that's why we became friends in the first place. I'm like, I don't know. I think we met in 2007 or eight. And, uh, you know, again, the part of my joy about sake is who, people. Yeah who's making this fantastic sake and why is it called, um, you know, like Seikyo and why is it, why, like why and who is this people? Like, so always that part of, about sake were always interesting to me and it will never stop. Um, like you said, like always someone tried to do this, try to make this new product with this new technique, new ingredients, because or they were they wanted to make this sake to pair with specific let's say saba or cheese or something i think those are really interesting and i will keep you know researching about those sake and also the coming from sales aspect is always turning people into sake that like aha like wow like moment that you happen to be there or you happen to maybe be able to provide that moment to specific people that is always like make me makes me happy and I hope to to do that and uh you know yeah Yeah. there is one thing though I do want to say that I'm afraid of a little bit is I see movement in the sake world we're trying to become like wine and I am as far opposite of that as you can get just to raise the acidity level as high as you can get it to make it like wine. Just drink wine. Don't make my sake like wine. 
Sake is sake. Wine is wine. We don't need to keep going down the path of trying to be like wine. And I am completely a purist in terms of keeping sake is sake. Yeah. Experimentation, that kind of thing, I love it, but not if it's in the goal to make it like wine. Then I'm again, I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, it's funny because right now you're kind of seeing it's it's getting tough to kind of suss out because you're kind of seeing both happening at the same time. These places are kind of they're starting to re-explore old styles and other things, and as yeah. they start to go back there, they're ending up with stuff that's a little bit a little bit tangier, a little yeah. bit funkier, and whatever. But at the same time, you're also having that. Well, going I, down that I, wine route and so i think for some of the consumers there it's hard for them to kind of oh, suss out that's so sad yep yeah because yeah, yeah, yeah. the sake is so beautiful as it is yeah it's totally. been around for a couple thousand years it doesn't need to change just yep. i mean it's getting better and better all the time yep. but we don't need to become like wine yep yeah i said that's kind of a yeah same that's one thing i've always sort of struggled with is that it seems like a game of diminishing returns that is why we are yeah. we are sake <laughs> and fighting not for rice sake. wine yeah rice wine doesn't exist no. sake yeah. is sake it's not yeah. rice wine no right. such thing exactly i think it's only you can only go down that road so far until it's you're just going to be a small appendix at the end of that yeah. the wine list and if, yeah. if you if you can't get out of that and yeah. make gate stand on its own on yes. its own terms so yeah very exciting nice oh that's good i got i got you i got y'all riled up there at the end that was good that was good that was good that's that's what we go for that's what we're that's what we're going for you're talking i'll find a few more right we keep going Devin, here let me pour you another glass here no wonderful i i want to thank you both for making time here um it is very it is very very it is it's a lot of fun that's that's why we do this we do this because basically we got to keep having fun um it's um very comforting to know that the city of portland's um future of sake is in good hands um and so yeah i look forward to uh, checking back in with uh, the both of you next time i'm in town and you can talk me yeah. into that yeah give it give me a holler when you uh make it out to the out to the island and yeah we'll we'll pull up the the sake on air team we'll we'll go have some beverages perfect, perfect. excellent all right thank you so much thank to you both you. all right excellent thanks so much and that wraps it up for one more episode of Sake on Air. If you wouldn't mind popping over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review, that would be greatly appreciated by all of us here on the show. Also, you can follow along with us at, at Sake on Air on whatever social media platform you are regularly poking around on, as well as you can check out our, check out our YouTube channel. Uh, we have been uploading the audio uh, with a few visuals from past episodes, and we should be all cut up here pretty soon. So if so, for those of you who like to have YouTube uh, playing in the background to keep you focused, distracted while at work, uh, that's another option we've got for you now. As always, thanks so much for listening this week and every week to Sake on Air, uh, the show that is made possible together with the support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center in Tokyo, as well as the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association. Thanks again, and we will see you again in just a couple of weeks. Kanpai!